Welcome to the Iowa Idea Podcast. Join host Matt Arnold for in-depth conversations with artists, designers, entrepreneurs, and civic leaders as he explores how they approach their craft and represent a modern version of the Iowa Idea. This podcast tells the stories of Iowa natives, transplants, and friends who demonstrate the Iowa Idea in the 21st century. If somebody wrote a story about your life, would it be interesting? Welcome to this episode of the Iowa Idea Podcast, where I'm joined by Justin Ahrens. Justin is the Chief Evangelist at Rule 29 and the author of Life Kerning. Since 2000, Justin has led his creative agency and certified B Corporation, Rule 29, in a commitment to smart business, great design, and helping others think differently about the world around them. Justin and Rule 29 have been recognized by most major competitions and publications, including Fast Company, AIGA, and the Webby Awards. Justin regularly talks to incredible leaders and innovators in various industries through the Rule 29 podcast design of. Justin and I dig in to how experience and social-emotional maturity are part of our journey as we continue and improve ourselves and be more present for those around us. Our conversation went deep, quickly, and I really appreciate Justin's vulnerability and perspective in our conversation. It was an honor having Justin join me on the show. Thanks to him for his time and insights, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Justin, thank you so much for joining me on the Iowa Idea podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. If you don't mind, for our guests, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Uh, Thank you as well for providing the space. So my name is Justin Ahrens, and uh, my day job is I'm the chief evangelist at uh, Rule 29 Creative, which is a creative agency um, outside of Chicago. And we also have offices in, in Omaha. And I should say right now with the way the world is, I have offices all over the place um, as people are working virtually. But really what that means is, you know, I got into this business. Well, first of all, I was designed this way, right? I, I was one of those kids that, you know, if you walked by my paper in math class, you know, in like third or fourth or fifth grade, you know, I was the one that was drawing my answers a, a a tank in the frame of a five was, you know, blowing up a four. And if I was lucky, it equaled nine, right. Or one, whatever it was. And that just is the way I saw the world. And I got into this profession quite luckily, um, you know, based on what some people would say was a big bummer in their life. And it was for me at the time, but I look at it now as a, as a huge, huge blessing, quite honestly. But my role rule 29 is to you know, quote unquote, evangelize this idea of making creative matter. And that is what rule 29 means to us. It's our own rule um, based on the unique things that, that we consider of, of high value, right? So that is, I'm not an accountant. I love accountants. You know, they make sure I pay my taxes and I stay out of jail. And so that's, that's beautiful. But I see the world in images and color and, and, and fonts and story. And I just, I love story. We're all designed for story and we, 
whether we realize it or not, right? It's one of those um, core items that we share as human beings that we want to see ourselves in. So my job is to continue to help us explore ways to do that, you know, in the design branding realm. And so that's really uh, what we do, who I am. Yeah, no, that is great. Thank you. I know for me to uh, just uh, continue to uh, go back to the power of storytelling and narrative and as, as humans for almost as far back as we can go sitting around the campfire and, and conveying some of the most complex and important information that we can share. And I, I still talk with uh, clients from an experience side too, is within the business, the power of storytelling, because uh, when we're trying to drive, you know, some of the things that might sound cliche from a business, but like when we're trying to drive empathy, there's no empathy for cell C17 in an Excel chart. But there is empathy when you hear about what somebody might be struggling with or why they, you know, why this certain product may be helping or hurting them, right? But really understanding that what somebody's trying to achieve, what's their goal? And you can, you know, you can almost take simplified story arcs, right? This is what was going on yeah. until this happened. And then they were confronting blank. And then when this was introduced, right, happy ending, yeah. sad ending, but uh, also using those to try to drive, uh, uh, shared meaning, shared understanding. Mm. And mm. I was just uh, talking to uh, somebody who does uh, innovation work in Ireland. Uh, and one of the things that he wrote a paper about in the innovation space was called uh, diegetic prototyping, but it was just mm. ba basically using the power of story to not only get people to talk about something much like you would a prototype, like, is this working, not working, but then also to extend that in provocation, what conversations does this provoke? What might, you know, what do we think of? So uh, I apologize. It's just that uh, there's been a lot of uh, storytelling and innovation and prototype stuff on my mind lately. So yeah. I really well, appreciate you taking that human kind of storytelling approach as well. Yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't have um, been able to articulate that um, probably when I started or even, you know, in hindsight, looking back at, um, you know, just the kind of what I do now and, and everything else, but it's, uh, it, it's such a beautiful thing. You know, I'll work with clients and they'll, you know, we'll say something like that and they'll be like, yeah, but how does that, how does that impact my bottom line? Or, you know, what, you know, how is that going to help me sell whatever, you know? And I, I understand that. Right. So we spend a lot of time, you know, kind of walking them through, uh, those things and the power of a, you know, great story, a great strategy, a great execution of that strategy. Right. And I think what's amazing about what we do uh, as creatives, no matter what spectrum of that, you know, creative, um, you know, world you live in, think about what we can do. It's amazing. We can influence people to, to vote or to not vote, right? <laughs> Depending right, on right. which side of the story you're on. Yeah. Yep. To understanding a, a complex issue in the world to simply picking the soap you want to use. You know, it's, it's really just kind of a beautiful, amazing thing. And, you know, I say that now on your podcast, but there's definitely times where I'm just like, oh, I need to go be a barista at Starbucks. I'm done with this, right? <laughs> um, so, but, but really th those, that's the, the reason I, I get out of bed in the morning is I feel that we're all a part of this kind of amazing story. And, you know, and I read a book years ago, I think it was a Donald Miller book and a million miles in a thousand years or 
or the reverse of that. I can never remember the yeah. title. It's, it's, um, but one of the things you said to me that really landed is that, um, he was talking to one of his mentors and his mentor was saying something along the lines of, Hey, just out of curiosity, when you're done with your life, quote unquote, whatever that means, if someone is to pick up a book of, of the story of your life, would it be interesting? And what I loved about that, uh, you know, question was, you know, it was really pushing him at the moment in his life to step outside of his comfort zone and to really feel life. Right. And I think we all desire that at some level, whether we admit it or not, you know, some of us are maybe doing it too much, right. Maybe some of us are scared. Um, I know in the last year it's, it's, you know, what a roller coaster, right? So I, I think that, that I, I, that's part of what we look at. And that's, that, that phrase is even something we think about when, when we think about storytelling. Thank you. Yeah, that, uh, what an interesting, compelling frame. Uh, you know, if it was the story of your life, would it be interesting? And uh, I, might, I might just men- melt down in existential angst right now because <laughs> right now mine feels like it would probably be uh, uh, maybe, maybe if it was more of a film, like some slow film, you know, like French just conversation feels boring, but it, it's just the, the feeling of where we're at in pandemic, right? It's like, what is, what has this year been? What is different? But uh, what a compelling way to really think about how you want to live your life and uh, frame that. What you, you had said what gets you out of bed. And what's interesting is when I, with my day job, I talk to clients and two of the questions when I dig in on trying to understand their problem is I use, uh, uh, I try to find out what they're excited about and their superpowers, right? And what gets you out of bed? And then I was, what keeps you up at night? And so I, if you don't mind, uh, I'd still love to further explore the, the more positive side, what gets you out of bed, but also what keeps you up at night? Hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. You know, <laughs> To be transparent, I think as a business owner, there are definitely times I have fear. And I have fear not in the fact that we'll get work. I think we'll get work, right? Um, and it, it continues to, to present itself. And we work hard for it. Don't let me think, yeah, you know, it's just right. one day I wake up and my email's full of most ideal jobs because that is not how it works. <laughs> but, you know, I have... Um, 16 people that work with my group and someone's listening to this and thinks that's small or large. It doesn't matter to me. It's 16 people that I care about. And I get out of bed sometimes maybe too fearful that I'm going to fail them. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I, I need to, um, of course, put that in the right column of, of anxiety and fear, but that is something that, that, concerns me, right? Is I want to, I want to do a great job. And part of that is a positive thing, right? It's one of those things that continues. Um, I'm a, um, a very growth mindset person. I, um, I have four books on my nightstand. I'm reading all four, by the way, but it's really slow going, <laughs> you know, cause you know, one is, you know, like 500 pages and a couple others are smaller. And it's because I read based on kind of my mood. Right. And I, I feel that this, you know, kind of this tension uh, and we should come back to that. That's something yeah. I've been really kind of leaning into lately is we have this concept 
I'm going to answer your question here, maybe a little differently. We have this concept like, hey, my life is great when all these things are whatever, right? So let's say I don't have anxiety, I have a ton of money, you know, everyone loves me, whatever you're, everyone probably has a combination of those things, right? Right, right. But what I'm really starting to, to understand, and I'm 48 now, I wish I would have learned this in my 20s. Uh, and maybe that's impossible to learn it then. I don't know. But there's a tension in our life that we, that we have that I think is really healthy. And that is, um, you have this, uh, your ego, right? And it's pushing you in ways um, all over the place, good, bad, and different, you know? And I'm starting to take the time to understand that now, stepping outside of myself and looking at that. And so you're asking me what, you know, what is my concerns or what are the things that keep me up at night? And that is really understanding who I am and what motivates me, right? Um, why do I want to, why do I want to win that award? Right. Or why do I want to have that type of project or why do I want to have a bigger organization? You know, what are the things that are truly behind that? And what's hilarious is I, I've, I've given conference, I've given talks at conferences about this very thing where I thought I nailed it. I thought I understood it as I was feeding my ego, by the way, right, uh, giving right. this presentation. And I, I feel one of the silver linings of this past year has been me stepping back when all of those things that I thought were really important were gone and realizing that, that life was a lot different than I had created and structured. Right. So I think what keeps me up at night is, uh, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's the exploration of those concepts. Right. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you find things that are a little icky, right. And dark and you're just like, shit, I need to get up and have a bourbon. Um, and other things you're like, huh, you know what? That is still a thing, but it's not as, it's not as, um, you know, uh, of an agony anymore uh, because I, I'm starting to realize that I did that because I wanted this person to like me or I wanted to be known by these people. And, you know, whether that matters or not, you're starting to get a better handle of that. Right. Right. So I think it's the, the combination of those things. And what I've come to also realize is, and this is, a, I've decided to look at this as a positive part of our lives because it's, going to be with me regardless. I can fight it all day long, which I think I probably did for the last 48 years. And now I'm welcoming it. And I tell you what, it's, it seems like a really small thing map. And once you welcome that tension and you welcome, like, why do I feel that way? And you're really honest with yourself. Golly, it's beautiful. Right. And going back to our conversation about storytelling. Yeah. I feel like I understand story much better now. And so it's been a, is probably a cliche word, but I will say for me, it feels like an, an awakening. I, and I'm very, and I'm very present now. And I, I mean, I've been for a bit, but I feel like I'm at a deeper level and I, I can't wait to see where I am a year from now and five years from now and 10 years from now. That's exciting. But I also, one last thing. Yeah. I also don't want to rush there. You know, like I said earlier, when I was in my twenties, I probably couldn't have gotten there. Right. Um, and, and maybe I could, I, I will never know now. But I'm really grateful for all those things in the past. Um, Thank you. Yeah, think uh, just a couple things too that you said. One, it was making me think of um, appreciating your own journey, and you probably weren't ready. And I, I know, uh, like from my perspective, it might sound cliched, but you know, when the when the student's ready, the teacher will appear, right? That you know, there's there's times in our lives where we might might not have even been opening, yeah, like to the. Can you to say the that messages. again. I want to I want to make sure I heard that. Can you say it one more time? When, when the student's ready, the the teacher appears, uh, and just that's, there are times that's in, that's there good. are times in our life we wouldn't even listen to that, and 
um, uh, somewhat different than my persona on this podcast is with my friends. I'm known for, uh, and people are <laughs> probably disagree as they listen to this, uh, actually known for my quick wit and responses. But, uh, you know, when I was younger, uh, they might have been a little bit more mean spirited or not intentionally, but I, maybe I was less, uh, I don't know, I was, I was, I, I I was less aware of even what those quick witty jabs might mean for other people. And so even sure. like, as I get a little bit older too, is how do I get better at just listening and being present and, mm-hmm. and it, rather than, Oh, here's a zinger that I can throw in. Right. Yeah. You know, it, it, thank you for sharing that. That's really interesting. Uh, I think we're, I think we're similar. At least I'd like to think we both think we're hilarious is what we're trying to say. Um, so that may I am the funniest person I know and, <laughs> oh, and, and the most humble person I know as well. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness gracious. We are absolutely brothers, but I have four kids. And what's interesting, my oldest is a junior in college, senior in high school, uh, sophomore high school. And my, my little baby's a freshman in high school. And we've had some really incredible conversations the last year and I'm, I can't wait to see, you know, their upbringing is so different than mine. And we have these really deep conversations that I think some of my older ones kind of understand or get. And of course, my younger ones are not worried about that. They're more concerned about TikTok, which I understand. Yep. Um, and I, I just can't wait to see what that means. You know, my earlier example, you know, maybe when my son is in his twenties, he he will go through some experience that will give him more color and more richness in his life. You know, you can argue that you know, even if I didn't have this, I was still I still had all of that, right? Right. But anyways, I I, I think that it's great to have these conversations, and it's absolutely wonderful to. I listen differently now. I don't know if you've realized this as you've gotten gotten older. Um, are you an Enneagram person? Do you know what Enneagram is? I, I don't know. I apologize. Is that, no, is that a, right. a, like, is it, is it, is it like a personality type indicator kind of? Yeah. It's, 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 it's kind of like that hardcore Enneagrammers would disagree. Many think it's been around for thousands of years and it's really based on, you know, thousands of years of, of observational behavior of people. Anyways, I got, um, we had a client who was an Enneagram expert and, and I, I read, um, one of my favorite uh, writers, his name is Father Roar. He's a Franciscan um, monk that lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And he's an, I actually learned more about the Enneagram from him. Anyway, to tell you all of that, because we have had all our kids take this test and to understand them better. And we've had great conversations about it. And one part of the Enneagram is people will often say, if you can't figure out what Enneagram number you are, read the descriptions. And the one that bothers you the most is probably you. Because what Enneagram talks about is that, you know, your, your, your strengths when you're in a healthy space and then your, and then your weaknesses when you're in an unhealthy space. And that's, that's really fascinating, I think, uh, if you're committed to explore that. Because I think it impacts all of your conversations, all of what you do, right? Is you can, you know, there's times now, I'll, I'll share something with you since we're, yeah. we're just, you know, being transparent and vulnerable today. Right. My son is a senior. And so in Illinois, they haven't played football and he had these dreams of playing college football and, and he had some opportunities and, and was getting scouted for that. And I was really excited. And I remember going to one of the coaches meetings and thinking, Hey, knucklehead, this is not, you're not getting recruited. Your son's getting recruited. 
Why is it so important to you? Right? I had this conversation in my mind. Yeah. And then I had this other voice that just kind of said, hey, settle down there. You know, he's just excited, right? And as my son was kind of going through this process and uh, he's decided not to play college football. Um, and uh, that bothered me at first. And I realized that a lot of that was because I wanted him to play college football because it made me feel good. It made me feel as a successful parent. Right. And as soon as we had this conversation and he decided not to, oh man, his, his whole demeanor, his energy, everything about him changed. And I was really frustrated with myself for days because I thought to myself, man, did I drag this on? Because he knew he didn't want to disappoint his dad, you know? And I think it's those kind of things that it's, it's important to, well, at least I've enjoyed getting to know myself more on. And, you know, as you, and as you think about what we do in the creative space and anyone who's, you know, likes to watch story, write story, listen story, whatever. I think once you get to that space where you start kind of being able to step out of yourself and looking at yourself as a, as a character, all the goods and bads that go with that, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty um, incredible experience. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate the the power in the, the one that uh, probably annoys you or disturbs you the most is probably you. Because uh, I know in my life, I've had people introduce me to somebody and they'll be like, oh, you'll love this person. They remind me of you. And I'm like, that person is probably an asshole. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I do love that being able to really you know, again, you know, all these things that you've talked, converging, the ability to be present, the ability to suppress the ego, maybe being quiet, like a little bit more still to, to observe. And one of the things you were talking about too, made me think of a big space that I've been exploring lately too, related to innovation is mm -hmm. uh, the notion of cognitive bias, right? And mm. a lot of these, like my, my short kind of painting with really broad dangerous strokes is for years our, our biases have been built in us for generations and generations and like and, and uh, culturally rewarded and reinforced but many of them are what allow us to talk today right that uh the humans weren't outnumbered by tigers in the early days right we learned that these certain things are danger but uh uh a friend of mine, Adam Hansen, uh, he wrote a book called Outsmart Your Instincts. And the, the general is that uh, the, you know, the, the, the thinking that got us here isn't going to get us to where we need to go. Uh, but it did help us get to this point where we can actually, you know, we have time to be reflective. We learned how to build houses, we, right? But we mm -hmm. still have these biases about and, you know, negative stereotypes, but it's just really interesting too, when we can almost acknowledge these cognitive biases. Uh, and then it's another thing if we're actually going to confront them, but I think even a start is just that they, they exist and that they, they can really, uh, they can be an impediment to innovation and creativity. Absolutely. I, I think that again, um, see if I can say this, this correctly, uh, but I think another silver lining in this past year is having to do even more self-reflection in those areas, right? When it comes to um, biases, perceptions, you know, activities and language, right? You know, <laughs> yep. And that has been uh, um, a very 
um, maybe at times discouraging um, experience, um, an exciting experience. And I think that uh, that part has been really interesting just to then look back at my life and say, how, well, how, how did I have that thought or what, what happened? But again, it, it, you know, I, I think what's very fascinating about it for what we do is I continue to learn how to do our job better based on parts of my life that have nothing to do with my quote unquote day to day job, you know, being more self-aware, having these kind of conversations and, you know, um, look at them from a different lens, even if it's just a few degrees over or completely from the other direction. And I think that to go off your, um, your example, uh, there is um, a professor at Yale, her name is Dr. Lori Santos. And she, uh, you may have heard of this story, but she started the most popular uh, course at Yale and it's called the science of well-being or the science of happiness. I, I can't remember. Right. And I took it over uh, Corona. It's a 10 week course, took me 10 months, <laughs> not because I'm a poor student, but I, I took some of the chapters over and over again. And it basically the premise of it is our minds, our brains do not help us to be more joyful and happy. It's not, they're not designed. It often will give us input that is counter to what we believe and even our bias. So for example, in, if you've been to Chicago, they have the Metro here. Yeah. One of the stories she talks about is uh, the Metro wanted uh, this, uh, psych, this uh, social psychologist to do an experiment um, or to give them input of how to make the train more enjoyable to increase ridership and all that sort of thing. So make a long story short, he put on a drink car, like a, it, you know, where you can go and get, you know, soda or booze or whatever else. Right, right. And it was wildly successful when they did surveys, people loved it. Right. But then when they asked people in general, people said, Oh, I want a quiet car. I don't want to be talked to by anyone. And so they did further research and realized that even us, when we go to the line in the coffee shop or even sit on a plane, we tell ourselves that we don't want to be bothered by other people to be really annoying, but actually to feel more joy and to have more happiness and to, and, and it's science proves that those interactions, even if they're micro, even if they're simply giving someone a smile increases your joy and happiness exponentially. Right. And uh, I tell you what, it's a, it's a wonderful course. It's on Coursera. Anyone can take it. I believe it's free. But she also started a podcast called The Happiness Lab. And it's basically the course in her podcast episodes. And I'll tell you what, I know she's a professor and I know people might think it's nerdy. And, and um, it is kind of nerdy. There's definitely science there, but she has a wonderful way to tell stories and to include um, a great narrative arc that will help you be like, oh yeah, I totally understand that. Because she, she poses like literally her... I think her tagline is something like, you know, um, what if your brain was actually uh, helping you have less joy than more joy or something like that? And it's, it's really great. But I think, again, it's, it goes to what, you know, sort of what we're talking about here is there are so many things that we believe to be true for a variety of reasons. And if we take the time and really dig in, we'll understand a lot of those things are not true and or the joy or happiness or things that we're looking for could be right in front of us. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I love this. A couple things just to comment is, uh, so maybe for, for guests to tie some things together, but this is related to the happiness lab is, uh, so we're, we're connected because of, uh, the great Dave Gould, uh, 
another the prince, guest, the King Dave Gould. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, James Tutson, a musician. Uh, mm. When I talked to him, he had just recently <laughs> finished his uh, his Happiness Lab course from from Yale and had great things to say about it. So. I think I might have to double check with Dave if like he's giving people homework to do that. And then afterwards I'm allowed to go talk to him, but uh, you're the second person that has had like, uh, I would say deeply pleased with the experience mm -hmm. of this class. And uh, also um, it seems like an important theme that we untangle uh, the notion, like why do we conflate uh, well-being and happiness, for example? And yeah. Um, and I don't know, from a Zen perspective, I think I've been introduced to the notion of two is um, trying to be the hub of the wheel rather than mm -hmm. the exterior, right? Because you're a little more centered and the, those mood swings are a little less, right? Where these vast kind of circles of happiness and, you know, anger or depression, but uh I'm gonna have I'm gonna have to check that course out. So I really you will really appreciate I'm you. you. I, I'm I'm gonna give you the Justin Aaron's guarantee that you're going to you're guarantee i don't know what that means on the fact if you don't like it i send you a bottle of booze but um uh and i keep saying that i, yeah. I don't have a drinking problem i just enjoy bourbon uh i will tell you something else that is really interesting too and so my youngest daughter she is um uh, a great athlete uh, i think but she wears her emotions on her like you can tell if she's happy or sad or pissed or whatever yeah and I was doing one of the courses and it talks about just body language, the effort you take to, to walk and to, you know, the, the way you carry yourself, it's just flat out science. It helps you feel better. You actually heal your body heals better. Cause it's working at its most optimum uh, level. I can't give you the science behind that, but at least right. that's what uh, was part of the course. I'm sure. Yeah. Of course it's true. But my point is I was telling her, I said, Hey, <clears throat> when you're struggling with something, I would, I used to say to her, Hey, carry yourself like a good player and a good teammate and all that sort of thing. And, and that's all true. But I said, Hey, it's going to be easier for you to get over that. Whatever just happened, a mislayup or, you know, a foul or whatever, shake it off and be positive about it. Like, you know, forget about it. In fact, I was trying to think of what movie I just watched recently that talked about, um, uh, Oh, it was Ted Lasso. <laughs> I don't know if you watched that lasso, but I'm telling I, you what. I haven't. I've heard great things. So, <laughs> yeah, it's one of those shows where I watch the preview and I watch the first one. I'm like, this is going to be terrible. And then, you know, uh, the whole couple episodes later, I'm hooked and like crying and laughing and all that sort of thing. But there's a great line in there that our kids have picked up. And it's such a great line for us, I think, just as human beings, is, you know, um, he says something like, what, what creature, what animal has the shortest memory? And it's a goldfish. You know, they, they forget something like 10 seconds later or something. And I tell her all the time now, like, just be a goldfish, right? Learn from it, move on. And she rolls her eyes at me as, as she should as a 13-year-old. But when I see her carrying herself differently, I can see her interacting with her friends more positively, more happily. And I think those little things we just forget about, right? Yeah. Especially yeah. this last year, you know, we've all been stuck in our homes and, you know, um, and it can be challenging no matter how great you've been handling this. It's there's times I think all of us have felt a little stretched or broken at the seams. Right. And so what I've been, what I learned from this course is I really believe there's um, moments where you're able to do just gratitude exercises or, or be the hub. Right. Yep. 
And it could be as simple as giving someone a smile. Literally, uh, in fact, my wife teases me now. We walk in our neighborhood all the time. We, like we've lived in our house for 12 years and I've, uh, uh, I'm sure this is like many people, uh, I think we walk four or five times a week and I've done more in the last year than the previous, you know, 10 years combined, you know, um, times right. 10. And so when we go by people, we now say hi and, and all that sort of thing. And, and, you know, it's a very Midwestern thing to do, but at times we'd be involved in conversations and we wouldn't say hi to someone. And so now when I say hi to someone and ask them how they're doing, she's like, oh, look at you spreading joy. <laughs> but I do feel better about it, right? And, and if that person feels better, great. But that, these little things that we do uh, is, I think is really positive. By the way, sorry if I took us on a totally different. No, this uh, is great, Justin, here. and I'm really, I'm really loving the conversation. One of the things I was just about to say is we went from uh, "tell me about you" to existential angst pretty quickly uh, <laughs> in the conversation. So there's a few things I do want to back up on, but because we've had this conversation, and some of the things that you're talking about, also as we were talking about happiness and wellness. Um, so uh, one of the things from a design perspective, uh, one of the things that uh, I'm trying to confront is why does this bother me so much? But there, you know, there's a notion in, in design to design for delight. And mm. um, it's, it's something I've struggled with and I still don't have a definitive, but I know it, it, it gets under my skin because I'm like, are we always trying to design for delight or for experiences and, and sometimes I think about, are we, you know, can we design for something to be meaningful or work? You know, because I think about people that might be dealing with, uh, you know, tragedy or healthcare into, you know, are, and, and I feel like sometimes are we just trying to put, you know, like, hey, make sure there's a smiley face emoji after you have somebody's, you know, email right. about can their cancer diagnosis. And so mm -hmm. it's one of the things I've been reflecting on in my career too, is it really delight, uh, and honestly, I don't have anything to substitute. You know, I've, I've tried meaningful, but I'm kind of curious from your, both from a creative standpoint, as we've been talking about, like how might we improve the things that we design, the experiences that we're, we're trying to orchestrate uh, for customers or for clients, people in the public sphere? So, yes, yeah, so let me clarify that question to make sure I understand. Yeah. I, 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 I kind of heard two questions there maybe, and, and um, maybe not. So is the question more of how can we create things that are more delightful to our clients or is the question, how can we create things that are more delightful to us or is it both? I think, well, yeah. And thanks. Uh, Cause a lot of, a lot of my questions are like weird ham fisted statements, <laughs> but uh, the one is, one is definitely is, is should delight be a target? Is it, you know, cause is it contextually appropriate? Uh, you know, what is, what's a peak experience that we might want to design for. Uh, but then, uh, I love I love your take too on both for the work that we do for others, but also maybe the work that we're doing on ourselves. Uh, so, any or all of that, uh, if you if you want to hmm. explore, yeah, that's yeah, no, that's great. Well, first of all, let me. We've just recently expanded as an organization, and so um, we do a lot. Congratulations. Of Oh, thank you. Um, we do a lot of different work. And my point for sharing that with you is one of the things that we do is we do um, civic election and ballot design. And so uh, hold on to your horses here. This is how exciting this is going to get. We, uh, for example, we were doing forms on how to properly vote or how to get your license back after a DUI, right? right. And 
there's some amazing organizations out there that are wanting to make the application process uh, more understandable, you know, uh, easier to process, you know, um, and help people to get back on their feet, whatever it is, right? I'm, I'm not, you know, um, advocating for or against DUIs. I'm just saying like, you know, let's say something happens to you and, you know, you've, you've want to move on and learn from your mistake, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, it's not an easy process. And so one thing that design can do is it can really help uh, that experience be, be clearer, be more successful and happen, you know, um, at a more dependable way, right. Or, or rate. Right. But the design that we're doing, we're talking about word documents and, you know, some basic UX UI and all that sort of thing. But what's incredible is the team, my team's working on it and they're just like, ah, oh, you know, this is the worst. I'm working on a word document or working on the X, Y, or Z. Right. But then you hear from the client as they go on user test this, just how great it's been for those people to have a, a more understandable experience. There's all these things that come out of it, right? Less complaints, less phone calls, you know, people being able to get from A to Z better, whatever the thing is that they're working on. And, you know, my team focuses on that, which is incredible, right? Like that's what they're helping do. They're, they're helping people, you know, um, get through the system better, more efficiently, more equitably, right? More, you know, um, being able to include, you know, um, uh, all questions, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that's amazing. And, but was that something you put in your portfolio? It should be quite honestly, but no, it's not. Cause it's not going to look at it. You're not gonna look at it visually and be like, Oh, that's beautiful. Or yeah, that's a super you know. sexy design. Right. So the question of delight is really interesting to me because, um, you know, I think that is delightful for all parties. Right. And what I've been discovering for years and, and we're, and we're continually to explore is on our client side, when we create something, um, there are times that we create something that we think of is not only, you know, beautiful, but, but very, you know, strategic and human centered, and it's going to be great. And sometimes we'll show it to our client and the client's like, you've probably heard this before. Well, it looks like something I could have done, which is probably the biggest, you know, slap in the face as a creative um, uh, that you can get. At least I think so. I was going to say, there, there goes your, your, your year of basically sitting on the mountain looking for calm, right? Like for me, right, like right, right away, the ego is just exploding. Yeah. Because there, there's no yeah. way they could have done it, honestly. They had a big no, problem. Of course, they came of to course not. Yeah. And, and we know this, right? right. And so but because it's elegant. I would say, I would say old Justin, <laughs> I, I want to say 10 or 15 years ago, but it may have just been two or three years ago. And quite honestly, I, I still, it's not like I don't, I don't. I feel that frustration. I feel that F you, I feel whatever it is that, that day that I'm able to process. And that, by the way, it's that feeling of that that's really important to understand where that's coming from. And then I step back and I look at it and say, okay, you know what? This is literally an opportunity. This is an opportunity for us to explain why we did what we did and to um, politely show them how they couldn't have done that and help them see that we're actually delivering beyond expectations, right? Uh, that sort of thing. So to, to answer your question more specifically, I think a lot of it is the posture we take as an individual and as a, and as a group, right? So for the client, it's what can we do to educate them on what we 
did, not because we're trying to pump our chest, but to show them that, hey, we didn't just make this logo or this web experience or the script or whatever else, whatever we're showing them out of thin air. Because if, if we did do that, then the clients were right. They could, they could have probably done it by themselves or, or you know anyone could have done it. But we went through an approach and a process. We took all these things into account. And this is why this is a wonderful solution. Now, of course, that doesn't work 100% of the time. And nor should it. Because we also want input from our clients. Uh, they know their business is best most of the time. And we want to have this collaboration. Um, collaboration is so key to the design process. And similarly, as on the internal example I gave you, is we want to, even if someone did that project and let's say increased um, you know, voting um, you know, percentages back some out, which would be incredible, they may not see value in that. And that's okay. They'll see value in it potentially um, in the future. But what I see is like, hey, look what you did you know, and you were able to help this happen. And that's, that's incredible. Yeah. So, you know, and again, that's, that doesn't work hundred percent of the time either, you know, because you know, the next week they may be doing a poster design and feel like that is way more impactful than, than the voting thing. And, and to them it is, and that's true. And that's beautiful too. So, you know, I think it's, it, it, it's just, it's, again, it's that tension we were talking about way back in the beginning. It's, it's both. And right. It's, we want to create something incredible, but we also want to educate our client. And then we also want to learn from it. And we also want it to be successful. Oh, and by the way, it'd be really great if we got paid for it. So you have all these things happening, right? And all these different little um, cogs and windows and doors that you have to check, um, repair, go through, et cetera. And, um, and that's really uh, important. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I'm fascinated that and, and love that actually you're talking about kind of civic design elements too, because I, I remember, uh, you know, it seems like it's, it's getting harder and harder to pinpoint an election that we're not talking about design issues now, but uh, going back to, to Florida and uh, uh, Bush Gore, right. And even going down to uh, I believe, was it, was it Miami Dade or was it Broward? County that had the, um, yeah, the butterfly the chads. Yeah. 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 And the, even as like, you know, somebody that I thought, you know, at the time had great vision and I can see it, it was still this weird flow chart. And I am always fascinated from parts of design that I love are like wayfinding and, uh, things that, you know, again, are, we're, are we, are we embracing familiar patterns that, that we can be used in, if not that we have these learnable patterns and so that they're consistent, right? And you you look at at something like that and there's nothing like that in in your day-to-day life that you would ever use that and it was it was terribly inconsistent, like the way the relationship between an object and it it's 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 pinhole that you had to punch through. So See, I could nerd out for yeah, for I mean a long I'm, time I'm one on, of those on those elements. Yeah, I'm one of those people that that I say ridiculous things, but I believe it. I think everything can be improved by design or at least design thinking. Yeah. And I also am one of those um, people that believe that, you know, design can have incredible impact on the world and you can define what that means for you. Um, And so, yeah, I hear you. And, and, you know, whoever designed that ballot probably just wasn't thinking about it. You know, it's someone that was just like, Hey, I need to get this thing made. And, you know, I know how to engineer the machine and, 
you know, we'll go from right. there or whatever. Right. Justin, thank you. Uh, Want to go back to, cause I, I just, if, if you don't mind sharing just a little bit more how you got into creativity and design, cause we, I think we were basically you in elementary school uh, kind of adding some infographic flavor to your, your math problems. But uh, uh, did you, did you know you wanted to get into, into design? Was that a clear path or mm. how did you kind of end up both uh, in the design space and as a, a business owner? That's a great question. Thanks for asking that. Well, you know, I, um, when I was in high school, I, w- I was, uh, I was kind of this uh, interesting individual, I think I was an art major. I took all the art classes, everything that they had. Right. And luckily my high school had a bunch of art. My art teacher, Mrs. Gallahue was incredible, but I was also a jock. Right. So I played basketball and football and track. And so I had these different friend groups and, you know, I'd kind of bring them together cause I'd make t-shirts, you know, and I would do these things. I would design cars for people and, and all that sort of thing. And I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed that experience. I, and, and actually one of the things I enjoyed is I, I was bringing joy to people that I made stuff for. I, I, um, I'm attracted to that. That's still something that I, I get a thrill about when someone loves something that we did. It's just a wonderful feeling. So I went to college, I went to a small school in central Illinois. Um, and, uh, I was, went there to play football. I was smart enough for the schools that were recruiting me that I picked the one out of those schools that had the best art, um, uh, college. And, you know, um, sure enough, my first day of practice at college, I blew my knee out. And so uh, for me, that was a huge part of who I identified myself to be. I never even thought about after four years, I wasn't going to play, co- I wasn't going to play football anymore, which was true. I, there was no, that was it. It was my last ride this last four years, right? So I ended up picking up a, a design class and I had never heard of graphic design, right? I knew what advertising design was or I knew what advertising was, but I didn't know how one did this. This was a mythical to me, right? I had assumed, and this is not a bad thing. um, I had such great impact. I've had teachers that have actually saved in my life and and have completely transformed it that I thought, I want to be a teacher. I want to have that kind of impact. And I want to be a coach. I love sports and I would love to be an art teacher. And these are all the things that I thought I was going to do because you know, back then, and you know, I even, I catch myself saying this to my kids sometimes too, like, what are you going to do? What are you going to study? What are you going to be? What's your future? You know, yeah, I still have some of that drilled into me. And so that's what I, I went into. And, you know, my junior year, I did my student teaching. Then I went on an internship for, at a design studio and that was it. So uh, uh, fast forward, I, I move out to Arizona. I, I work in, um, uh, I went, there's a top 25 list in Phoenix at the time. And I went in and I got interviews with like 15 of like the top 25. And so I took my spring break where all my buddies were going to wherever they went. Right. And I'm like, I'm going to go get myself a job. And so I went to all 15 places and each of those, I had a terrible interview. The last interview, I was just like, why is no one telling me what they think about my book? (laughs) Man, this is a true story. The guy goes, because your portfolio is shit. (laughs) And I walked out of there and this is how fast this happened. First, I'm like, you asshole, right? And and then I cried a little bit and then I got to my car and said, oh, at least I know. You know, no one was telling me. So 
there was one person that was on that I got a number from that I called and she wasn't able to 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 see me and so I didn't get to meet with her. So fast forward a few months, I graduate. Um, I redid my entire portfolio. And I, I should say, I got into these places initially because my brother-in-law was a designer. He helped me design this really cool promotional piece. And so everyone thought that my book was going to be as good as a promotional piece. And it was not even close. <laughs> so fast forward, I, I move out. I don't have a job. And I had, I worked a few months after I graduated from college in construction, saved up some money. And I, I had like a month and a half runway. And then I was going to get married. So I'm starting a family, no job. I'm in this foreign city, foreign city. We know them, foreign to me. Right, right. And uh, I get a phone rings at my new apartment. Um, I, I'd only, I don't think I'd given it to anyone. And it's this other design agency that I had not been able to see. And she goes, hey, I need a designer. Can you start like in an hour? And I was like, no, it's like on a Friday. I was like, no, but I can start Monday. Now I should have realized that she had not seen my portfolio, had never met me, but she was giving me a job, but I didn't care, right? So I go Monday. It ended up being one of the most challenging, hard jobs I've ever had. I did, I did, but she taught me how the business works. You know, I was the head of the janitorial arts. You know, I was, uh, you know, I, I went shopping for her. I did all, I did everything right. right. And in hindsight, it was an awesome experience. And then that got me into one of those top tier agencies where I just, I was not nearly as good as the competition. Right. And they're going to, you know, ASU has a great uh, design program, USC, UCLA, they're all in the Phoenix area. And so what I needed to do is I saved my money. I bought a Mac and I started, you know, um, practicing, you know, freelance back then, if you remember, you, you didn't freelance. That was an option. If you freelanced back then, it's because you were terrible. <laughs> you know, you had no option. Freelance was not a lifestyle choice. It was like, oh, you're freelancing. I'm sorry. Hopefully you'll get a job someday. Right <laughs> now it's, you know, it's not that way at all. Anyways, um, I started freelancing and I actually ended up getting some clients. And then I had talked to my brother-in-law at the time, who was the one that helped me design that beautiful portfolio, uh, direct mail piece to go and start a business. Uh, we're doing like freelance, just kind of on the side stuff. And a lot of it was stuff our clients wanted that, you know, our agency was just too expensive for. And, um, you know, fast forward, fast forward, we ended up going on our own. Um, we didn't have any client. Well, we had like two clients thought the clients were just going to pour in. Luckily, one of our old clients had heard that we're doing this and he actually came and gave us a ton of work. We ended up becoming together and partnering and it was great for four or five years. And then Sarah and I were just really wanting to move back to the Midwest for some reason. Want to leave sunny, beautiful Phoenix to come back to, uh, Chicago, which I'm so glad we did. So we came back here for sort of family. I worked for a publishing agency for a while because I thought publishing would be really fantastic. And uh, it was really cool to design books and all that sort of thing. But I could see the writing on the wall that this was not going to be um, something that was going to have a long career <laughs> ahead of me. Right, so right. I started freelancing again, you know, working with some old clients that I had and, you know, um, partnered with a friend of mine and, and that's, you know, January of 2020 and that, that's, that's 2020 or 2021, sorry, January of uh, 2000, a few months before my first daughter was born. Um, again, my timing is always impeccable. Right, right. I went on my own and um, you know, there's been bumps and challenges on the way that, that um, uh, have made us what we are now, but here we are starting our 21st year and I'm, 
I'm, I'm super excited about it. That's great. Congratulations on that. Uh, I really appreciate you walking me through that that journey as well. Uh, out of curiosity, where uh, uh, where were you for for college? I'm just kind of curious. From a, um, I, I grew up in I, I grew up in Rockford, Illinois, and I did my master's at Illinois State. So some strong connections. Oh yeah. To- so yeah, Blono. I wasn't Blono. I was at Illinois Wesleyan. <laughs> so I was right, right down. That's funny. You went to Illinois State. So my old my daughter's a junior is at ISU, and my son was going to go play football at Wesleyan, but now I was going to go to ISU, which is great. So yeah, uh, awesome have them together. Right. And uh, it no longer exists, but you could go to the original steak and shake back in the day in uh, Bloomington. Is that where it was? Yeah. Yeah. The uh, on um, right, right. Basically between kind of, as you were going by uh, ISU and Wesleyan campus that uh, was that center I'm, I, I'm, some of the names are escaping me now, but yeah, like the, center, yeah, or Main Street, Veterans yeah, Parkway, whatever, yeah, something over there, yeah. Uh, but yeah, and I, I had a, uh, I, I, I basically had like a Fonzie or Mike Seaver apartment in Bloomington. Uh, I lived above somebody's garage. Uh, it was, it was great. The, the, the landlord was uh, crazy, uh, so it was a little disturbing, but it, yeah. It As was landlord three, should be, by the way. Right, yeah. right. It was yeah, three hundred bucks a, a yeah. month, uh, all all utilities included. Uh, so, oh wow, uh, that was what got me through part of my my master's program. But uh, then, sorry, just one other thing too. My a cousin of mine who went to he went to Illinois State to be a uh, punter, uh, and wow. uh, before you know, it's it's first couple of weeks of practice, and uh, their kicker's injured, so they ask him if he can kick. He takes one kick and he it was something he wanted to show that he could do that as well. And he ripped uh, ligaments and muscle no. apart on his knee. Mm. And like, yeah, to this day, he, he had to have muscle removed. And so thought, thought he was going to be playing football the entire time he was at school too. And, mm-hmm. you know, he, his ego was such that the way he was punting the ball, right. You, maybe you could do this in the NFL and, yeah. As, as a position where you rarely risk bodily injury, he just thought it was ironic that uh, he had yeah. a career-ending injury as a kicker. You never know. I mean, football and and uh, bad genetics have blessed me with a <laughs> fake knee and fake hip. So, um, <laughs> so uh, that's you know, you never know how it's going to work out. Justin, I'm really again so appreciative of you being being on here. Uh, also, again to, for for uh, Dave making this connection. Before before we go though, uh, just your your journey has been so so interesting. And again, I, I appreciate your vulnerability and all that you've shared. Uh, from an advice standpoint, uh, could you share with us either good advice you received from mentors in your career, or advice that you wish you would have received? Mm. Yeah, I'll give you a couple if that's okay. That's great. Thank you. The first is. I feel many of us want to make our own ding in the universe, right? Make a difference. And we all do. I just don't think we realize it and we're aware of it. So I was telling you earlier, I had a teacher who was the one who saw me, you know, um, uh, draw my math problems. Right. And we had a, 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 an assignment every month. We had to read a book and then, and then give in front of your class and, and, give the book report, like read your book report. I was per- just terrified of us, terrible at school. You know, I didn't know how to, I had some form of ADHD and all that sort of thing. So he, so this is how 
observation and impact of the world happens. He came up to me and he goes, Hey, Justin, for the book report, I don't want you to write anything. I want you to draw it. Life changing. I ran home, couldn't wait to do my book report. I became a designer that day, didn't know it. And I got up in front of him and I, I, I got my first A in the class and I was alive. And I remember that. So us taking time to see people and uh, sharing with them and giving them opportunity and, and, and support, whatever that is. I, I think uh, Mr. H, uh, I still talk to him today, by the way. That's great. Um, as a teacher, right? He believed you can make impact. So believe you can make impact, number one. Number two, and this is one of the, my favorite piece of advice I got when I, when I got married. One of my mentors had said every year, he and his wife, and this, they've been doing this for like 40 some years, they take a weekend and they, they go out of state they spend the entire weekend talking about their life. And that is relationally, financially, financially, dreams, goals, all that sort of thing. And nothing's off limits. It's like this weekend is you can say, do whatever to each other, right? But let's be on the same page. And so my wife and I have done that now for 20 years. We spend the first day, we go through the year's previous goals and kind of talk about things. And, you know, we laugh and we cry and, you know, we work stuff out. And then we talk about what we want to do with our, you know, uh, investments or, or anything in our life. Right. And we just are on the same page and we, and we use that space to really connect at a level and talk about things that, um, you normally don't. And I'm telling you, it's one of my favorite parts of the year and very seldom do, does anything work out the way you think it's going to work out, but we're on the same page. Right. And we can have a deeper conversation. So those two things I think for me are, are, um, incredibly important. I think about both of those all the time. That That's great, Justin. Thank you so much uh, again for, for joining me. An absolute uh, pleasure to have you here on the Iowa Idea podcast and uh, just continue to wish you and, and your family and your, your team uh, success going forward. Hey, brother, I really appreciate it. And, and to you, I wish those same things. And, and also that, uh, I uh, can't wait to our pass cross again because by that point you have you have uh, have done the happiness course and uh, we can joyfully uh, uh, cheer and clink our beers, water, sodas, bourbons, whatever it is that we're drinking, coffee, um, and and have a great time. That sounds great. 